Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 20 The Price I've no mentioned anything normal in a while, have I? The life that used to be my everything before coming into the shop. Clubs, pubs, pals, lectures, deadlines. They all fade into white noise. The kind you listen to as you're trying to go to sleep. But in between all of these tales of mine, all of these adventures, I have to clean the flat, go to lectures, and most appropriately just now, study for exams. I was hoping that working in the shop made me braver, less susceptible to tense and anxious atmospheres. Nope, it hasn't. It's like a miasma has settled over the campus. More students have congregated in the last few weeks of study time than the entire semester put together. Every floor in the library is crammed. All the desks and study rooms are booked, unless you feel like going in the middle of the night, which you can, since the university have been enabling enough to keep the library open for 24 hours. The student union is arguably worse, as by the time people get there, they've usually stalked furiously around the library for best party half an hour looking for a desk. You get two kinds of people in the union. The ones who go to the cafe, order the cheapest thing and sit all day scribbling or typing away in the hopes that it'll save them for the dreaded fail. The second kind are the ones at the bar at noon, ordering drinks, playing snooker or table tennis, claiming they didn't need to revise as they're so fucking clever they just remember it all. I hope karma hears them. And the worst place of all? The flat. The one where no one's cleaning because none of us have time. The pizza boxes and curry trays are piling up dangerously. I suppose I can kiss our deposit goodbye. Everyone keeps to their rooms like caged birds, only coming out for food or water. And when they do emerge, they look like they've clawed their way out of a swamp or were rejected extras on the walking dead. This leaves the antique shop as the only possible place to study. It's relatively quiet these days, or so I thought, and hardly any interruptions. I've set up a wee desk for myself in one of the back corners of the cavern, unable to see the door so I didn't get distracted as easily. Turns out the door isn't the biggest problem. I must have looked through hundreds of photo albums, cigarette cards and sewing patterns by now. And none of them will be in my exam. In between, I'm highlighting lines of lecture notes that I didn't even remember getting, let alone listening when they were explained to me. Concepts are being referred to like I know what they mean, which I didn't, so I have to dig out another set of notes to find what it all means. It's a nightmare. And I only have myself to blame. 
Every so often, it gets too much, and I let my heed hit the table, in the hopes that the damage will make my memory better somehow, or give me the ability to go back in time and stop myself from being such a roaster and pay attention in lectures. Occasionally, Kronos will be lounging beside me, curled up with no care in the world. In the last few days, I've often wished I could find something in the shop that would allow me to swap places with him. One time, after hearing the thud on my desk, Finn decided he was going to pop his head round the corner. And I don't think he realises how lucky he is to still have it attached. Helpful as usual, he began to muse that he didn't understand why I was bothering with uni. It's no as if I was going to use it. I snapped back that he wasn't helping. He came closer, inspected the ring binders and notepads, scribbled on wee notes and questions, and then repeated his misgivings, pointing out that I was choosing to stress myself out this much. I told him where to go. He, of course, had a point. It was just one I didn't want to hink about. No then, at least. Finn and I had settled into a weird kind of relationship. Weird in that it wasn't any different to what it had been before I had the wyvern ring on my finger. I didn't really like it that much, but I think that's because it's on the same finger as my last one. It feels strange to look down at my pinky and see the deep green eyes of a wyvern which looks an awful lot like a dragon, staring back at me instead of a fox. I haven't heard Fairied since he left, since I told him to go. He's no been far from my thoughts either. I find it hard to believe that the charming Finn is a dragon-like creature. I mean, how big are we talking? I found it easier to believe a fox could take human form but a huge mythical creature shrinking down to something so small in comparison. It also left the question of what he could do. It had never seemed to me that Reed had any powers, so to speak, but was it different for Finn? He tried to be all arrogant about it once he'd told me, and I'd voiced my disbelief. Kronos was quick to put him down, mentioning that wyverns were distinctly less formidable than dragons due to having less limbs and generally being smaller. Waspishly, Finn warned Kronos that even with two less legs, he was still better than a shop cat. Even I didn't believe that's what Kronos is. No, really. Nothing is as it appears. No Finn, no Reed, no most of the customers. Why should the wee shite be any different? After that, Finn transformed into Grandpa mode, informing me about the good old days when wyverns were feared and revered. As interesting as it was at the time, knew I was buzzed deep revising subjects that made no mention of dragons, wyverns or shop cats, I had no time for Finn and his difficult questions. Despite the notes, flashcards, highlighted lines and desperate cramming the night before and morning of, my first few exams went tits up. If only they did give you a mark for putting your name on the front. 
The gruelling exam timetable carried on, like sand in an hourglass, and we each pass in one, I began to feel worse. Hopelessness set in, and the last ounce of rage that I had wasn't far behind it. How was I this shite at everything? I was out of my depth in the shop. I knew I was out of my depth with uni, with the part of my life that was normal, the part that had been my anchor, a source of stability. Was this how it was for people who dipped their toes into the shop side of the world? They thought they knew what was what, how things worked, only to be told different. Yet no matter how long they're exposed or how hard they try to understand or learn, the confusion seeps into everything. I used to feel like I belonged in my life. That was where I was meant to be. But lately, just sometimes, it feels like a dinny. And it's not like I feel any more at home in the shop and the world surrounding that. I've turned into an outlier. Not really sure where they're supposed to be, which side of the line they're meant to be on. Trudging through no man's land, hoping not to step in something that'll kill them. These doubts weighed me down, invaded my dreams, kept me up the nights before exams. When I did go to the shop and desperately try to revise, Finn would be there, asking questions I didn't want to answer. Everything in my life was flowing through my hands like water and I was desperately trying to scoop it back up. Then came my penultimate exam. Another in a perpetual string of shite papers. The torture had finished before midday and I contemplated going to the students' union and opening a tab so I could drink myself to oblivion before realising I could do it much cheaper if I got the booze for the shop and did it at home instead. Despair swirled in my head as I made the journey to the nearest shop. And then something caught my eye. It's only bad things that catch my eyes these days, and I struggled with my brain trying to stop it from looking. But I did. And I saw a creature I hadn't seen since the blissful ignorance in my first few months in the shop. A wee brown rabbit perched on the edge of the pavement on the opposite side of the road. Its nose twitched, whiskers moving up and down as it smelled the air. It sat there, staring at me. I'd stopped abruptly forcing the woman behind me to swerve to avoid a collision. She muttered something pretty appropriate, but no very nice, at me as she stalked off. The last time I'd seen that wee hing, I'd met Finn, and we'd met one of a string of loose cannons who wanted to hurt people. Despite its button nose, cotton tail and unassuming appearance, that creature meant trouble. And that was the last thing I needed. I took a few shaky steps forward, almost able to see the glowing sign of the shop where they kept the booze. Another few paces, determinedly forwards. I wasn't looking. It could get to. A few more steps. I could see the aisle in my mind, the cheapest of cheap wine in my hand at the checkout. 
Then my mind began to wonder. Back to that night in the alleyway with Finn and the strange man, the mostly unconscious lassie who'd been his sacrificial lamb. If I'd never followed the rabbit then, what would he happen to her? What if it was a similar situation now? I could live with it. After all the shite that had gone on in the last few weeks, I was due some time off. Just this one time. I think we all fucking know what happened. I knew I couldn't live with myself if I'd walked away. I'd have been living in torture, wondering if I'd left someone to die. We an infantile huff across the road and followed the sodding rabbit, wondering if rabbit pie was hard to make. It wasn't a short walk either, no like the last time. This was quite a ways out for the campus, in an area that had been cleared by the council in the last few years. It was a place on the outskirts of an industrial area where factories and warehouses were. They'd been council houses until recently, but since the expansion of the area into industry, everyone had been moved to elsewhere and the houses were left abandoned until the site was bought by a developer. On inspecting them, I hoped they hadn't looked as bad when people had been living in them. They had the essence of abandonment, Windies and doors were boarded up with metal sheets to stop vagrants and squatters from getting in. Locked with padlocks so heavy it would have taken two of the strongest people in the country just to get them on. Wet small gardens had been attached were overgrown with weeds, dandelions and the occasional rogue daisy. There were no cars on the street and no one walking past. I started to feel like following had been a mistake. I'd seen too many horror films to think this was going to end well for me. Sure enough, the rabbit disappeared through the pavement and made its way into one of these buildings. When my gaze followed it, I saw that this particular house didn't have a padlock on the front door, and the metal board used to block it up was lying discarded in the front garden. Anybody else would he turned round. But that was too sensible for me. I approached the door, which was ajar, wide enough for me to squeeze through and regret the two sausage rolls I'd had for breakfast. As soon as I'd finished brushing off the dust and grime from my jacket, I looked up. The rabbit was gone. I was in a club. No one like the one I'd been in when I'd first seen the rabbit. People were dancing round me, jumping up and doing to music I couldn't hear. It wasn't packed, and there were few enough people for me to wind my way in and out of them. But I moved slowly, as if wading through water. I eventually saw a familiar face. My own. Surrounded by my pals, with their drinks in their hands, no caring who or what they spilled them on. We were having a great time. We always had our nights out. But they'd been rarer to come by recently. And it wasn't just because of exams. I just no felt like it. 
I'd made excuses, or I'd been working late in the shop, and by the time I'd got back, they'd already left. I looked happy. Happier than I was now, and I hated that. I moved on past the group, towards a doorway that was lit up, no dissimilar to a fire exit. The bar across the door gave way when I pushed it and I emerged into the bright sunlight of a summer's day. There's people around me dressed in black robes, multicoloured hoods draped over their shoulders or hanging off them. Everyone's dressed smartly, high heels, fancy dresses, suits and ties. There are cameras everywhere, for the professional to the one on people's phones, and most people are posing, grinning and smiling widely as the flashes go off. This is graduation. I scan through the crowd, and eventually I find myself, dressed like everyone else, in my Sunday best. There's a professional photographer with his camera strap round his neck, aiming the lens straight at me and my da, who stands as proud as he is awkward. He puts his arm round me and squeezes, and I can see his beaming grin for where I'm standing. Then there's one flash too many as the scene changes again. This time, I'm in a fancy reception area in a building. Marble floor, pretentious art on the walls and uncomfortable sofas in the waiting area. In what is a recurring theme, I'm sitting on one of these chairs, pretending to look through a woman's health magazine, even though my eyes are darting everywhere but at the page. I'm dressed up again in a suit that I didn't even own, wearing shoes that look so new I can feel my feet cry out with agony. Eventually, someone approaches me and shakes my hand, telling me to follow them, and I do, looking like a shark's just invited me over to dinner. I notice the company name on the reception desk and realise this is the place where most graduates from my degree get jobs afterwards. The final scene I'm shown is the most bizarre. It's a cafe, the one that does the best coffee, in my opinion, and suitably beyond a student's budget. The seats are empty, save for one table. I'm there again, but someone's sitting opposite me. A someone I've no seen in weeks. Reed. We each have a mug. Reed has a slice of their dark chocolate cake, and he's talking in between mouthfuls, telling me something that I'll laugh at or agree with. There's nothing special here. This is a normal conversation. It looks so easy. So why did we never do it? The cafe fades. All of the scenes fade. And I'm left in the empty front room of the ruined house. The walls are covered with mould. The bare floorboards are covered with scratches and marks, some coming loose in places. It should be dark, pitch black, but the windy at the back of the room has been uncovered and lets just enough light in that I can see the dilapidation. I'm facing that windy, can see the forest the back garden has become sway in the steady breeze. The rabbit has now reappeared, and I'm left there wondering what this was all about. I didn't need to wonder long, 
As when I turned round to go over to the front door and leave, a figure was blocking my path. I inhaled sharply through my teeth when I saw her, looking even more intimidating in this setting than in the shop. Madame Honora. Since she'd been the last thing I was expecting, it took me a few minutes to gather my thoughts. No one of them was coherent. Like my madam, Anora didn't need me to voice my queries. She informed me, in her harsh tone, that she was here to help. She explained that what I've seen was the future. A possible future. A normal life with graduations, careers, pals and family. A real friendship we'd eat. No one that was tainted by an archaic and unfair bond. A life that was a ma choosing. Madame Honora offered to release me from my apprenticeship. I haven't uttered many words by this point, but I have learnt one thing being in the shop, watching as all of these desperate people come in and beg to be saved. There's always a price. So what was it? Och, no big deal. Just a wee bit of my life. So wee I'd hardly notice. Deep down, I know what she means. She wanted years. My years. I didn't ask how many because I know she won't give me an answer. Also learning for the customers, I ask her how much time I have to make up my mind. The answer is immediately. She wouldn't let me leave the house until I gave her an answer. It was nice to think I could use the same power on her now as I did when she came into the shop. But I didn't think I could do that again. No in that situation. My first thought was if she was telling the truth. Was releasing me even possible? What about fate? destiny and all of that shop shite? Did Madame Honora really have the power to sidestep all of that? But if she couldn't, then why would she lie? Why would she go to all of this trouble to speak with me? A thought that has occurred to me since is why she was offering me this. What did she have to gain for this deal? I still can't figure that out. I took some time, probably no as long as I shoulda. I knew I'm home, without my wine, staring at my binders and lecture notes and flashcards. I've made my decision. Knew I just need to live with it, for however long that is. Don't get me wrong, I like fair and <laughs> There were trees lining the road, and every house was detached. Detached? <laughs> I don't think that's how you say that word. Detached. Detached. Fucking hell. <sighs> Furniture, all pointed at the gra- the bleh 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 bleh. <laughs> the griant, the- Jesus, okay. She looked to be in her fifties. Greying hair fanned out around her like a... What? (laughs) 
Under any other circumstances, it'd be a perfectly normal... Normal... Beside the record players... It was just one I didn't want to hang about. Hang hang about? (laughs) Nope, there's a K. There's a K at the end of that word. Weird in that it wasn't any different to what it had been before I had the wyvern ring on my finger. On my my finger. What if it was... <laughs> There's one. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 20 of The Antique Shop. Uh, I'd just like to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to everybody who has supported the podcast and donated on coffee over the last two weeks. I, I didn't expect that to happen, so I was quite shocked. I feel so grateful that I have such kind and generous listeners that you would donate when I came clean about what my situation was like. So yeah, thank you so much for everybody who has donated and supported the podcast over the last two weeks and over the last 18 months, whether it be this podcast or my last one. It is all appreciated. The day this episode is released, I have a job interview. Hopefully it goes well. Uh, wish me wish me luck pray to the everything gods whatever gods you want uh, <laughs> to wish me luck thank you so much for listening to this podcast I will be back at some point in the future but it's probably not going to be until next year at the minute I have planned out the next few episodes and I know where the podcast is going so I do have foundations for the next however many episodes I decide to do. So please do follow me on Twitter and Facebook where I will be posting updates about the podcast, about my life, not my life, just about the podcast, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much it. So I I hope all of you are keeping well, as as well as possible in the current climate. Um, And yes, so I'll be posting updates on Twitter, Facebook. So follow me there. If you want to donate on coffee, please do feel free. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you're here when I get back. I hope you're here when I get back. What the fuck? I'm not leaving a house. Jesus Christ. I hope you're here when I get back. Fuck me. It's like a stray cat. I hope you're still here when I come back. Oh, goodness me. Right. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>